0: Welcome to the sermon podcast for First St. Charles United Methodist Church in downtown St. Charles, Missouri. We are so glad that you're here, and it's our prayer that you feel safe, welcome, and wanted in this space. If you're interested in finding out more about us or supporting our ministries, you can connect with us online at firststcharlesumc.org. Today's scripture comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, and Joshua, chapter 1. These words that I am commanding you today must always be on your minds. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you are sitting around your house and when you are out and about, when you are lying down and when you are getting up. Never stop speaking about this instruction scroll. Recite it day and night so you can carefully obey everything written in it. Then you will accomplish your objectives and you will succeed. This week at Vacation Bible School, we've been learning how heroes are called together to serve God. Heroes are called to follow Jesus, work together, and listen to God. And our theme verse for this past week was, so let's strive for the things that bring peace and things that build each other up, Romans fourteen nineteen. Following Jesus means we work together to listen to God. When we see lots of examples in the Bible of what this means, one way we can do that is reading and following the laws laid out in Scripture. It's one of the hardest things to do. And yet, and yet, it's one of the most freeing things to do. Take Moses and the Hebrew people, for instance. They survived the 10 plagues and Egypt's relentless pursuit of them. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years without a home, subsisting on manna and wondering if they could ever settle down, not having to travel every single day. Many of these people had spent their entire lives as refugees. A people without a resting place. In Deuteronomy 6, the verses we read today, they were so close to crossing the Jordan River and coming to the promised land. But before that, the Hebrews had to remember where they came from, who created them, who they worship, and why they worship. So, Moses encouraged them to recite the Shema, a phrase that Jewish people in synagogues around the world still recite today as their central affirmation of their faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And when the Hebrews were tempted to make money or power their idols, the Shema oriented them to their focus. The next verse was the command to love God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now Jesus affirms the same thing. In Luke 10, when an expert of the law comes to Jesus and asks him how he can inherit eternal life, Jesus, using that Socratic method, asks him back. Well... What is written in the law? The expert responds, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Luke 10, 27. But then, as we know, the expert of the law tries to justify himself to make sure he's doing the right thing. Now maybe he's anxious. When I'm anxious, I tend to ask a lot of questions and get lots of opinions. I ask, are you sure I'm doing this right? Because after all, if I get a lot of feedback, if something goes wrong, I can easily absolve myself of any wrongdoing. Or maybe, the expert of the law wanted to prove fully that he could inherit internal life all on his own. So he asks, who exactly is my neighbor, Jesus? And then Jesus tells the expert about the parable of the man who was almost beaten to death. And it wasn't the theologian or the pastor who followed the law in that moment but the person who was considered the least likely, the least likely to know the law. The Samaritan, the outsider, the guy who maybe dressed a little different, who spoke with a different accent. The Samaritan, they may have sat alone at church and they probably wore the wrong clothes. That person, that Samaritan not only made sure that the beaten man was safe, but provided hospitality. So the beaten man was made whole. Jesus then turns back to the expert of the law and asks, who followed God's law here? Who showed the beaten man who God was? And the expert, probably with a sigh, said the one who showed mercy the outsider who may not have known the law jesus says to him go and do likewise now most heroes don't have magical powers huh they can't fly like superman or spin webs like spider-man or have big muscles like the hulk Can you tell I watch a ton of super, a ton of superhero movies? (laughs) Maybe they look like outsiders. Maybe heroes look like refugees. And that's a common theme in the Bible, isn't it? The heroes we talked about at Vacation Bible School were just ordinary, overlooked people. And the heroes who followed the law and the scripture were the same. Jesus, Jesus knew that. Jesus knew the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He remembered Deuteronomy 6 and recited the Shema daily. He remembered the other verses after that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, and all your strength. These are the words I am commanding you today must always be on your minds. Recite them for your children. Talk about them when you are sitting around in your house and when you are out and about, when you are lying down and when you are getting up. Tie them on your hand as a sign. They should be on your forehead as a symbol. Write them on your home's door frames and on your city gates. Jesus knew the law. Sometimes, we Protestant Christians want to separate the law and the gospel. How many times have we heard, well, the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore because of the grace that comes from Jesus Christ? Why even bother with the Old Testament and those pesky laws? Well, as history reminds us, when we adopt those beliefs, we then are more likely to think and act upon negative things about our Jewish neighbors. Further, when we Christians ignore the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, we neglect the Bible that Jesus used and preached and taught. And we need the Torah, we need the law, because it helps us to follow Jesus. Because, as he reminded us in the Sermon on the Mount, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. As an aside, I'd like to think it was a similar mountain to the one where Moses received the Ten Commandments. Sermon on the Mount, Ten Commandments. And context does matter, doesn't it? Now, as we've been learning in our intergenerational Sunday School, the laws, including the Ten Commandments, were given in the context of a story in Exodus that we heard earlier. The Hebrew people were tired and hangry and desperate. And Moses was fed up with their whining and trying to appease them. And the people at times turned to idols melting their jewelry into golden calves out of sheer desperation. Moses was about to give up. And it is in this context that we read the Ten Commandments and the laws of Scripture. So for today, does God really expect us to follow all the little laws? And how do we distinguish between big themes and little themes. Well, here's what I've come up with. One, let's look for overarching themes. What themes appear in the Old Testament that also appear in the New Testament? What are some major ideas that begin again and again? Many times I prefer to listening to the Bible instead of reading it because my mind finds it easier to identify major themes so for instance in the first five books of the bible in the torah as well as the new testament the bible tells us to protect the most vulnerable among us see for instance you shall not abuse any widow or orphan exodus 2222 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of the field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien, for I am the Lord your God. Leviticus twenty three twenty two. Then in the New Testament, in Mark's gospel, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give your money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Mark 10, 21. And the book of James, which minces no words. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for all. Orphans and widows and their distress. James 127. Consider the number two. Consider the intention behind the laws being given. Why might this rule have been helpful for a certain place and certain time? Does that intention really matter today? Well, following the rules to a T was certainly helpful on mission trip. They sent us out to our site with a 300 page construction manual with the task of building stairs. Now guess, guess how many of us have built stairs before? Now at first, we thought we could go off script and do something a little different. And this resulted in cutting the wood incorrectly. But when we carefully followed the construction manual, we were able to build stairs. And let's face it, the youth were able to build stairs so the homeowner could get into their home safely. However, some rules can't apply to all situations and all times, right? Take, for instance, that one commandment in the Bible of the Ten Commandments that you should tell the truth. Truth, you shall not bear false witness. The intention was to have integrity, to keep true to your word, that what you see is what you get. But sometimes people can take that notion of not bearing false witness and make it to be something that oppresses rather than something that frees us. I remember one time a long time ago in college, I took a college course on Christian ethics. And we were talking about that same command about not lying and i brought up the question of what would happen if we were lying to protect people for instance if christians had hid runaway enslaved people or they had hid jewish people fleeing the holocaust then i argued it would be okay to lie well a classmate didn't think so and i disagreed with him but You know, at the time, I didn't have the wherewithal to back it up. Now, I'm best at heated debates about three hours after they happen. If only I had remembered that story in the book of Joshua about Rahab, though. Joshua sent spies to Rahab, a sex worker, and she saw them, and she protected them by hiding them. Then, when the king of Jericho commanded her to find them... She told them she didn't know anything about what they were doing. Then, at night, she helped them ex- escape Jericho. Later, in Matthew's genealogy in chapter 1, Rahab is mentioned as an ancestor to Jesus. What a superhero legacy. Now, what we learn from this story is that the law is that the laws when we see them as guidelines, keep us at our best, doing our best, being our best. And when we see them as absent from their context and absent from our relationship with God, we see tyrants and we can even be tempted to use them to manipulate and harm. Number three, If the law doesn't lead us to see the image of God in every single person, it is not God's law. As South African theologian Julian Classen says of our Deuteronomy passage, true devotion to the one God thus implies that we stand where God stands and challenge all dignity denying behavior to all people, at all places and at all times. The Samaritan demonstrated devotion to God because they saw dignity in the person who is beat up. In VBS, we saw ordinary people become heroes by listening to what God says and by building each other up. True devotion to God through following the law means seeing the image of God in every single person. Even if they are different, like the Samaritan. Or, as we learned in VBS, even if they are different, like the Magi and Matthew. Even if it means going against what the powers of the world tell us. Like Rahab. Like Martin Luther King Jr. Following the law is both easy and hard, and yet, yet, it can lead us to love.